Welcome into the Paul Kuharski Podcast. I'm Paul Kuharski of paulkuharski.com. This is a production of 440 Sports. I've fulfilled my obligation to mention my name three times. Greetings from Indianapolis, where I am at the NFL Scouting Combine. Always a big pile of laughs. Uh, a great NFL convention where uh, I see a lot of coaches and executives and colleagues who I know and a slew of college prospects who I do not know but uh, begin to get to know, and that's the theme of the week. Of course, a lot to talk about here uh, this week with regard to what's going on with your team. Uh, I want to talk about coaches who skip the combine. That's not involving your team. Titans pretending they weren't predictable last season on offense. Uh, the idea of trading up for a quarterback, rereading your favorite book, and a promotion that you probably missed. So, so here we go. Sean McVay of the Rams, Matt LaFleur, uh, one-time Titans offensive coordinator of the Packers, and Kyle Shanahan of the 49ers, uh, three head coaches who did not make the trip to Indianapolis. I find this really odd. Uh, they obviously know what's best for their team, and, uh, and this has worked for, for McVay in the past. Um, maybe Shanahan, too. I think this is the first time for LaFleur. I find this really odd. Watching interviews with um, potential players who could be on your team in less than two months is not the same as being part of interviews. Um, would you want to watch somebody be interviewed or would you want to be part of, uh, of the interview? Um, LaFleur, as I understand, is not a uh, really a part of, of the Packers scouting operation at all. And so I could understand him um, thinking there's a better use of his time in, uh, in, in Green Bay um, with, uh, with his staff. But uh, McVay certainly has, uh, has a role in, in scouting with the Rams who are now interested in becoming uh, bigger players in the draft, could trade Jalen Ramsey and, and get involved higher in the draft. Um, Shanahan certainly uh, has, has a big voice in the, in the 49ers um, approach to the draft. So I, I don't understand the idea of not being a, a part of this. Mike Vrabel, uh, when he was asked for what he wanted out of the combine experience, said, you know, his number one thing is to see authenticity from the guys that, that he's talking to. He, he doesn't want to find packaged guys who are scripted by agents. Um, you know, and he's been big from the start at, at kind of getting reads on guys by looking them in the eyes. And I, I bring this up but probably annually at combine time, Mal the Malcolm Gladwell book, uh, Blink which is about this concept of, of, of thin slicing and, and just how much you actually can get from a very small first impression of somebody and how often that is accurate. And uh, obviously in some of these situations, you're getting it from the general manager and the other people in the room who are running the interviews and you're seeing the interview, but that thin slice of that first interaction, you're, you're not getting because you're not having the interaction. So, um, if I was a fan of a team, I certainly would would want my head coach in, in the room. 
you know, even if he didn't have a, a say at all in the decision about who would be drafted, ultimately the guy who is drafted is, is going to land in his city. And wouldn't you want him to have even a 20-minute head start on a relationship with the guy or a feeling for the guy? I would. Uh, I couldn't imagine the Titans without Mike Vrabel as as part of, of the process. And it seems an, an odd trend to me <clears throat> they're never going to make the combine uh irrelevant uh it's a money maker for the league and they're going to take it um uh away uh from indianapolis eventually and turn it into a, a, a bigger money maker i say it's a money maker i mean it, it brings a hell of a lot of people to indianapolis um, i don't know the finances of, of what indianapolis pays to get it here but it's a league convention for all all uh, intents and purposes um, and a healthy healthy business is done here well beyond the business of, of the medical checkups of the players which is really the number one element of uh, of gathering everybody together um we heard from tim kelly the titans new offensive coordinator for the first time this week and generally speaking though he was nervous and he's a very soft-spoken personality um he said good things and hit on, uh, you know, a lot of buzzwords that are going to be important uh, to to this this offense as it looks to um, recover from injuries, uh, get restocked with better personnel, uh, better pass protection, better run blocking with an offensive line that's going to include a, a lot of new faces and names. Um, a wide receiver pool that's going to be hopefully uh, more explosive and more dynamic, um, healthier quarterback, which I expect is going to be Ryan Tannehill. Um, and we'll get back to him in a little bit. He talked about being streamlined and efficient, more streamlined, more efficient, more fun, more explosive, more vertical, find different ways to stress uh, the defense. All of these things sound uh, really good. But, of course, the one bad note that he hit is the thing that got all of the attention. And when I looked at it earlier today, my tweet of uh, uh, interchange that we had, an exchange that we had about his thoughts about last year's offense being predictable, um, you know, by far was the most viewed thing, not just out of his session with the press, but out of his session with the press, Rand Carthon's podium session and spillover session with the press and Mike Vrabel's session with the press. I think this morning, you know, uh, it had like 37,000 views on just Twitter. And, and the next biggest thing that I sent out maybe had, you know, four or 5,000. And that might've been Joe Douglas of the Jets talking about Todd Downing, um, you know, joining the Jets, talking about Todd Downing, the guy that it seemed that Tim Kelly um, was over eager to protect here. So you may have been one of the 37,000 uh, plus that has already seen uh, this or, or listened to it, but let's listen to it together here and then talk about why Tim Kelly is saying what Tim Kelly said um, about whether last year's offense was predictable. Say that. I mean, I, I, I didn't think we were predictable last year. I think there's some times where, um, you know, certain games, certain things, uh, weather, 
um, you know, people you have available, things along those lines, uh, you know, there, 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 there are a lot of elements that go into to predictability or perceived predictability. Um, so I wouldn't say that we were predictable last year. No, Mike seemed like a lot of you were predictable. Mike, in, in hiring you, one of the things he said he wanted was uh, to be able to go into the same formations out of different personnel, to be less predictable, not signal sure. things were coming with personnel. Yeah, I think you know one, one of the things that we want to do as an offense is, is we want to be versatile. So whether it ends up being uh, multiple personnel groupings, uh, multiple formations, playing in multiple tempos, just doing things to try to keep people off balance. So, you know, that's what we're going to look to do moving forward. Um, you know, we, we want to put our guys in the best position possible. You ran an awful lot on first down as well. Didn't you think there was some predictability to that? Uh, I, I didn't, but, um, you know, again, like I said, uh, there, there, there are a lot of things that go into, into calling a game. Uh, and so, you know, last year was last year, but moving forward, I can tell you what we're going to do and what we're going to try to do and, and how we're going to build this offense. I didn't run, or I didn't think we were predictable. I I, I don't know. But I, I think he shot himself in the foot by giving this one thing that was, what, less than two minutes about them not being predictable last year. When Mike Vrabel all but said that they were too predictable last year, where them being overly predictable um, is a good part of the reason that Todd Downing's not back when uh you know run run pass punt is is kind of became a, a fan mantra and not unfairly a fan jab and not uh, un, unfairly um and 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 look he said tim kelly in this interview said at least on two occasions that Everybody in this building, referring to the building around him, which is the Indiana Convention Center, would say the same thing when he was talking about something. I think he said it about bigger, stronger, faster. I, I would imagine that's a pretty common response here, he said, kind of, you know, looking up and around, like about the building. So, you know, I've tried to do this less because uh, I got in the habit of, of, of really doing it. Um, but I think here's a situation where you have to go back and, and kind of evaluate what a guy could have said or should have said instead. And I think here's a, here's a situation where he didn't have to acknowledge the premise. He, he didn't have to say the Titans were predictable last year, but he could have said something like, you know, I don't, you know, everybody in this building would say they don't want to be predictable, you know, but so he doesn't have to concede that we're predictable, but he has to, could could say he doesn't want to be predictable, um, uh, you know. And I, 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 when his boss has said it, and when you know it's pretty clear that part of the reason he was hired was to make certain things less predictable, particularly certain people being on the field not signaling signaling run or pass. I don't know why he would be reluctant to. Uh, touch on this and uh, you know it wasn't a shining moment for him um in his uh the first press conference where he was he was rather nervous um and i'll point out and mike Vrabel doesn't give a shit about this but I'll, I'll point out that he wouldn't have been so nervous if in a season as passing game coordinator when he talked to texans press presumably the year or two before as offensive coordinator 
he'd been allowed to 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 talk. Um, and again, uh, Mike Vrabel doesn't care about that. It doesn't care that he came across as 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 nervous. But I don't see how it's good for the organization that a new offensive coordinator, as the team's rebuilding, replenishing, retooling, whatever word you want to use for the offense, appears uh, nervous. It, it doesn't instill confidence in in the fan base. Uh, again, Mike Vrabel's not concerned with that, but Amy Adams Strunk should be. She's uh, trying to sell sell tickets and market a product, and it's better marketed if if the guy who's running the offense seems bold and 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 strong, and you know, uh, solid. He didn't necessarily come across that way, but none of that matters if the offense is better. And one thing that Tim Kelly, to his credit, pointed out is. He doesn't really know entirely what the offense is going to be because he doesn't really know who's on the offense. Um, and, you know, there's a lot still to be determined for him based on how many holes there are on the offense and how much personnel acquisition is ahead for Rand Carthon. I, I hope um, that you'll go and uh, – listen to the little uh, video piece I did at paulkuharski.com about one of the ways that Rand Carthon is um, learning what assistant coaches want specifically from him and the way he asked them to, uh, to, to show him and the way he's continuing to learn how he can serve Mike Vrabel and Mike Vrabel's staff and get them what they want, which has been a big theme of his from the beginning that uh, he simply wants to provide them with what they need to put a winning football team on the field. $5.99 a month for, for that video story, for chats that I have uh, with the membership where uh, you can ask me questions during this. We have conversations to go uh, up to an hour um, during the season. I'll do those from the press box after a game as well. Uh, private Facebook page, everything that Mike Herndon writes every Wednesday from the analytical perspective, Blake Bettingfield with some pre-draft stuff to come and uh, pre- and post-game analysis from a scouting perspective. He scouted for the Titans for 19 years. Um, I hope you'll check it out. Give me a month, $5.99, the price of uh, less than the price of a fancy cup of coffee or a uh, tasty cocktail. So come join us. See what all the hype is about. I promise you it is uh, worth it. I um, wanted to go to um, some quarterback stuff. Speaking of Mike Herndon, he, he wrote kind of uh, some, some different avenues for the Titans draft strategy. Um, and I, I think it's a very interesting piece. I want to spin off one of the things because he and I kind of have different philosophies about um, where the Titans might go here in terms of quarterback. I, I, first off, I don't really love the quarterbacks in this draft, the four guys who are projected to go high, Bryce Young, um, Stroud, um, Levis, and uh, Richardson. I like Stroud the best. Uh, and uh, I, I, Young, obviously, is, uh, is very intriguing. Levis and Richardson's accuracy problems scare me and I, I i don't think uh they'll get better first on Tannehill, uh you know Rand carthon left himself uh an out you know he talked about um Tannehill being under contract right now 
and he talked about moving forward with Tannehill right now. Um, but I don't think that they're actively, aggressively thinking about an, an alternate route. Uh, reason says that there isn't one. Now, now, maybe a trade price comes up that's that you know isn't complete fleece to, to move up high enough to get ahead of, of uh, some of their competitors for, for quarterbacks and to get the quarterback they want. Again, I, I think Stroud fits, fits their bill better than these other guys. Um, so my debate with Mike would be about the idea of assembling a team and then getting a quarterback as opposed to getting the quarterback and, and then assembling the team. And I remember a lot of conversation about this uh, back when Marcus Mariota was, was coming into the fold. I do think it's, it's a less than favorable circumstance if you're bringing in a, a top 10 pick into a team that needs a huge offensive line overhaul and has, you know, really one legitimate, if healthy, uh, wide receiving weapon in Traylon Burks, who's far from developed. Um, you're asking for the guy to be beat up. Now, what Herndon says, and it's a reasonable point, is, you know, bad teams didn't hurt Joe Burrow or Josh Allen or Justin Herbert or Trevor Lawrence. And that is fair for sure. But three of those four guys, their teams were bad and they didn't need to be trade, traded up for. Burrow didn't have to, the Bengals didn't have to give up their, their future draft to go get Joe Burrow at number one. Uh, Chargers didn't trade up to get Herbert. Um, and the Jaguars were sitting at number one for Trevor Lawrence. The Bills spent two second round picks to move up to get Josh Allen, hardly uh, a, a ransom. But I've played with some numbers. Uh, ESPN had a, a nice thorough piece. That, that ran through all of the all of the trade ups for uh, trades up for quarterbacks in the first round. And I looked at the last 15 at the last 15 trade ups for a first round quarterback. And I count four franchise quarterbacks, 27 percent, four franchise quarterbacks and 11 misses. The Jets traded up from six to three in 2008 for Sam Darnold. Miss. The Bills traded up from 12 to seven for Josh Allen. Terrific. The Cardinals traded up from 15 to 10 for Josh Rose. One year. Miss. The Ravens traded uh, up from out of the first round to 32nd for Lamar Jackson. Hit. The Bears traded up from three to two for Mitch Trubisky. Atrocious. The uh, Chiefs traded up from 27 to 10 for Pat Mahomes' as big home run as you could hit. Uh, the Texans traded up from 25 to 12 for Deshaun Watson. Big hit. Uh, say what you will about his off-the-field problems. But they got themselves a, a guy that qualified as a franchise quarterback. The Rams traded up from 15 to 1 with the Titans for Jared Goff. Not a franchise quarterback. Did take them to a Super Bowl, but somebody they traded away to upgrade with Matthew Stafford. Not a franchise quarterback. Um, the Eagles traded up from 8 to 2 for Carson Wentz. Helped them get to a Super Bowl. Not a franchise quarterback. Denver traded up from 31 to 26 for Paxton Lynch. Awful. 
Browns traded up from 26 to 22 with Philadelphia for Johnny Manziel. Awful. The uh, Vikings traded into the first round with the second rounder and a fourth rounder with Seattle to 22 for Teddy Bridgewater. Not a franchise quarterback. Washington traded up from six to two for RG3 with the Rams. Not a franchise quarterback. That, that, that one's probably a risk you take. Uh, the Jaguars traded up from 16 to 10 with Washington for Blaine Gabbert. No thanks. On uh, the 15th, going backwards, the Denver Broncos traded second, third, and a fourth to get to 25 for Tim Tebow, not a franchise quarterback. All in all, I totaled, uh, you know, the picks that went both directions. So uh, typically you're giving up a first-round pick to get the first-round pick that you chose this quarterback with. In addition to that, three first-round picks, 12 second-round picks, two third-round picks, three fourth-round picks, one fifth-round pick, and one sixth-round pick going the other direction, cumulatively. That was the cost of those 15 quarterbacks. Now, look, if you're on the right side of that, and you're getting Allen, Jackson, Mahomes, or Watson. Watson for the football, obviously. You, you, you want it. But it's a 4-15 and 15 chance on modern history going back to 2010. Otherwise, you end up with Sam Darnold, Josh Rosen, Mitch Trubisky, Jared Goff, Carson Wentz, Paxton Lynch, Johnny Manziel, Teddy Bridgewater, RG3, Blaine Gabbard, or Tim Tebow. And none of those guys got you anywhere except back in the hunt for a franchise quarterback. So this makes me less keen on moving up. Now, I, I, I know our scouting reports and our, our feelings about these four quarterbacks, you know, they don't prove accurate, right? Nobody knew that, um, that Patrick Mahomes was going to turn out to be you know, this good or, or th that Josh Allen was going to turn out to be this good. And nobody knew that, uh, you know, Paxton Lynch was going to be that bad or that RG three wasn't going to pay in out. Um, I, I just think there's risk there. And I think Mike Vrabel can win with Ryan Tannehill. He's already done it. If, if you formulate a, a good offensive line and give them some wide receivers and they continue to play solid defense, the backbone of which I think is already in play. And so I'd get those things without giving up these picks. You don't have a lot as it is. They've got six. They don't have a, a ton of free agent money, though they can get more. Build that core back up. Get yourself a, a reasonably solid football team play with the quarterbacks you've got. And then if you're in a position where you've, you've got that and next year you'd say, all right, we, we absolutely have to take a crack at quarterback, then mortgage, then mortgage. I'm not saying it's wrong to do it the other way. I just think for this team at this time, it's a better way to do it. Um, and Mike makes a compelling case. But I, I'm going to stick with uh, with my thinking there, and um, 
I'll be surprised if that's not what the Titans do. Um, you know, I don't think Malik Willis is forcing you any decisions either. Um, but, you know, if you draft a quarterback, well, he's still going to be around for training camp. Tannehill would be out, out the door if you draft a quarterback based on the, the fiscal situation. So we shall see. It's hard to picture for me to picture the Titans loving Bryce Young as small as he is, no matter how dynamic and to love uh, Levis or Richardson with their inaccuracies. I think, you know, you fall in love with the arm of Levis or the athleticism of Richardson, but you're, you're then writing off excuses for a lot of other deficiencies in their game. Stroud to me has the most to, to hang your hat on, but then you're playing roulette with who else likes him the best and how high you'd have to go in, in the draft. And I think the answer would be pretty high. I, uh, I read somewhere or heard somewhere not too long ago that you should reread your favorite book once a year. Now I think that's uh, really extreme. Once a year seems too frequent, but I hadn't reread my favorite book ever. I've read it once. Um, and I couldn't find anything that looked appealing to me to read. Um, and so I pulled up on my iPad what I consider to be my favorite book. It's called Bridge of Size. It's by Richard Russo, who uh, I believe won a Pulitzer Prize for a, a better known book called Empire Falls, which um, HBO made into a miniseries with Ed Harris and uh, Claire Danes, if I'm not mistaken, which was which was well done and true to the book. Early on, I was a little disappointed rereading this. It took a little while to get back to what I loved about it, but it got me back there. And uh, I hated when uh, when I ended it. It took several nights where I didn't turn on the TV at all. I was just uh, really, really um, into this book and, and into rereading this book and appreciative of this advice that suggested that I reread my favorite book. Uh, and I knew I'd be miserable when I finished it, finding something else that would hold my attention as well as this book had held my attention. I, I list Richard Russo sometimes with, with Springsteen in terms of things I hold affection for. And I understand the book may not be as good for, for other people, but the way this guy writes and this particular story just speaks to me. I spend a lot of time, uh, too much time, rolling over the past. And um, this book kind of speaks to that idea. So I was really taken by this one line from the book that I, cut pasted out of the iPad and, uh, and texted myself because I wanted to make mention of it here. Said uh, the narrator's kind of talking to himself. He says, why scan the past for the shapes and meanings it surrenders so reluctantly if you mean to suppress some and exaggerate others? Why scan the past for the shapes and meanings it surrenders so reluctantly if you mean to suppress some and exaggerate others? One sentence summarizes exactly what I do, raises a pointed question about exactly how I do it. So I always marvel 
when I read something or uh, hear something and I'm convinced it's written or uh, prepared to be spoken precisely to me, about me and about my circumstances. And so this line is like directly about me and the way I operate. Um, if it's really good, like this was, I'll roll it around in my head. Sometimes I do that, something from a sermon, from church, or something from a, a movie, documentary, show, book. Roll it around, think about it, and really think about this idea that, like, how did this person get to me so directly? Um, and then ultimately I'll realize, again, as I have when these times have come up before, that's not just some magical connection to me. It's a connection more broadly to people. Surely it's got to be more widespread than me, right? Of the, or the book wouldn't sell. Uh, the recording wouldn't get listens and have an audience. The service wouldn't have other congregants. Um, so alone on my lounge chair or in my bed, in dead quiet with low lights or no lights, reading on my iPad, I'm as connected with people during a moment like this as I ever am at a big party or a big event or a big radio show or at a big, well-attended church service. And I marvel at that and people who can do that. And so I wish I could do that for starter. And then I wish and I hope that Richard Russo knows that he does that. I ought to write him a note, but uh, I'm hard pressed to think that he'd get it. Maybe I'll send him a free membership to this. And he'll have to endure some Tennessee Titans talk in order to, hear me talk about that. This uh, printed on two sides down in my hotel lobby. So uh, I'm a little scrambled. One thing that went completely unnoticed uh, this week, and it's, it's odd behavior to me from the Titans, is that Mike Vrabel promoted Terrell Williams, the defensive line coach, to assistant head coach defense slash defensive line coach weird to me like i'm not saying they should throw williams a parade upon the occasion that they give him this title which doesn't really change his responsibilities or change anything it's uh you know it's a title bump uh to reward him for his hard work and uh and to you know credit him for his, his service and mean something going forward and i'm sure that it got him a pay bump you know it, it seems to me it's worth tacking on to a press release or worth a press release of its own but the titans don't say anything about it they they slide it onto their their uh their website now, i i didn't see it jim wyatt uh saw it or knew it was going on there and asked Vrabel about it at, at the press conference this week and gave Vrabel a chance to, uh, to, to talk highly of, of Williams. 
it just seems is that normal behavior to to uh I mean, I, the NFL isn't a normal place, right? So you, you're getting a promotion at work, and and there, there's not a press release if, if you're not a super high-ranking person going out about it. But generally, in the NFL, title changes uh, on the coaching staffs get acknowledged. So I just thought, you know, it, it's a shame the guy gets a promotion, and then, like, I, I don't think he's sitting home worrying about not getting the attention, but to get a promotion on an NFL staff to an assistant head coach job, like it'd be nice if somebody knew about it and didn't have to stumble across, you know, I look at that Titans administration page a lot, but you got to, you know, and I would notice that, but other spots got to compare it to, you know, print one out now and compare it to the version that's up there a month from now to see what's changed because that's the most likely way you're going to know about it. Just seems odd to me. Um, maybe that's me nitpicking. I loved Car Carthon and uh, Carthon and Vrabel here in Indian in Indy. They're both loose and fun, um, and it just makes me like a part of the season that I don't like when they're removed from the stress of the results, and that's short lived because the stress of results starts arriving. March 15th when they could start signing free agents, even though, uh, you know, you get letter grades from some national media and maybe, maybe some, some doubts about contracts and stuff, but almost all of that is, is hopeful. You know, there's internal stress about, did we get the right guy? Did we get the guy we wanted? Did somebody take him right in front of us? Did somebody make a trade right in front of us? All of those kind of things. But, Ultimately, the stress of results doesn't come until you're losing games. Um, and the Titans are far removed now from the seven-game losing streak and well into hope season, which brings um, a lightness. So, uh, you know, I, 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 it's a good time of year to, to get to be around those guys. It's unfortunate that it's so rare. And we saw them uh, early this week. And, uh, you know, those of us that will go to the owners meetings, we'll get to see them again. And then, uh, you know, we'll see them during the draft. But uh, that daily frequency of, uh, of training camp, which is also a hopeful time, um, there's not as enough going on now to warrant it, but we wouldn't get it anyway. So it's kind of weird that you don't get to see them when they're at their most lighthearted. Um, you're seeing them when things are the most stressful. Um, so that's this edition of, uh, the Paul Kuharski podcast. I appreciate you joining me. Please, uh, subscribe, like review, spread the words to your friends. If you're not a member of paulkuharski.com, try it out. You know, give me a month. If you don't like it, unsubscribe. If you do like it, Easy six bucks a month. You can get uh, 12 months for the price of 11. And uh, I think you'll find it uh, some of the best, the best Titans content around. It goes beyond what you're used to getting uh, en masse from the group. Um, so give me, give me a taste, if you will. I look forward to seeing you again soon. Members, I'll, uh, I'll be doing a uh, members chat very soon and in the meantime to all of you i uh hope you stay safe and i urge you don't block the box 
But be sure to lock your locks.